And so I wanted to invite you to, to, uh, to turn to the book of Colossians. Um, and Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Um, Colossians is a little book uh, jammed between Philippians uh, and 1 Thessalonians. Uh, the easy way, the way I remember it is when you get to Paul's letters, you get Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Um, and then 2 and 2 and 1, a bunch of T's. Uh, so, um, but, uh, and we're going to be in the book of Colossians. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into it. Uh, Father, once again, we come to your word, um, not, uh, not simply written words on a page that, um, that we can just read and, and, and pass by, but uh, what reveals to us the living word, Jesus Christ. And as we dive into the topic of the gospel and its meaning, um, Lord, we ask that you would, uh, you would illuminate our path, help us as we, as we walk through your word to see Jesus to see the meaning of this, this idea of the gospel, the, the, um, and particularly this morning, this idea uh, of truth and what it, means, uh, to, uh, what it means to them and what it means to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Colossians, uh, Paul was writing this letter um, in response to a bunch of false teaching that was happening in the city of Colossae. Um, and, uh, the, 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 the approach that he takes is, is very unique. So often when we deal with false teachers, um, we address their specific arguments and we say that here's why this is wrong. Paul takes the tactic of in order to respond to false teaching, what he starts with is what we would call a robust or a fully realized Christology theological term for the study of christ what does uh paul wants to start with who is jesus because if he can start with who is jesus christ he can deal with the false teachers much easier because uh he can set a gold standard uh one of the issues we encounter all right one of the things that we're dealing with with covid right now right which is an interesting thing is that the PCR test that we use to test whether you're positive or not, uh, which used to be able to come back in two days, then it was three days. Now it's just about the time you end isolation, you get confirmation that you had the disease. Um, and, uh, and, but that test, one of the problems we have with the test, um, and the reason that there are other tests out there that this year are probably going to replace the PCR test, is it doesn't have a gold standard. It's testing for proteins um, that, that identify the, the, the COVID-19 virus. Um, but it doesn't have what we would have, what we call a gold standard. And Doc could talk to you a little bit more about how this all works. But if you want to test somebody for strep throat, all right, which is caused by a bacteria, there is a gold standard that laboratories have for thresholds. And they can measure the level of this and determine whether you have, whether you have an infection. The way it works with the COVID-19 virus is if they spin it up and any of those proteins show up, just call it positive. That's basically how the test works. Um, so because it doesn't have a standard, it is based entirely on secondary evidence. Now, that doesn't make it invalid. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it bad or sinful or anything. But it's just a different kind of test. When Paul is going to confront false teaching, 
Rather than spinning up the false teaching and saying, here's the problem with all of this. He's going to start with, here's Jesus. Here's Christ. This is who he is. So let's get into Colossians chapter 1. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to verse 8. I'm actually, uh, this, during, this, during this series, we're going to go through most of chapter 1. But um, I'm just going to read through to verse 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Now Paul is going to unpack what he means by the gospel in the first chapter here. But I'm going to take specific statements that he makes. And I want, to, I want to cue in on them. And this morning I want to start in verse 5. Where he says this. Of this you heard before in the word of the truth. The gospel which has come to you. Paul describes the gospel as the word of the truth. Now those definite articles. It sounds weird in English. We want to read that as the word of truth, right? Um, But the word of the truth is there because of the way the articles are in Greek. um, And it's making an emphatic point. And, And I think it's super important that we start with this, that we understand what's going on with the gospel. And it's something that people are afraid to say in our modern world. And so uh, if I offend, I apologize. But this is what the Bible has think. Uh, this is what the scriptures say about the gospel. And it says, when Paul says it is the word of the truth, I want you to understand that the gospel is a claim to exclusive truth. Now, we don't like being exclusive. All right. We, we like to be inclusive. We like to make sure we're as broad as possible in our thinking, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with being inclusive in our conversation. We don't want to sit there and go, well, you, you're ugly so you can't contribute or, or you smell funny. Or we, we want to invite people into the conversation of the gospel, but we need to be honest. The gospel is a, a claim to exclusive truth. So here's a couple places where that happens. First of all, Jesus makes the claim. To exclusive truth. In John chapter 14. In verse 6. He says to his disciples. um, He says a simple line. And many of you probably memorized it. Jesus said to him. He's talking to Thomas. I am the way. And the truth. And the life. No one comes to the father. Except through me. If you had known me. You would have known my father also. From now on. You do know know him. And have seen him. Um, now that that way that John quotes Jesus, all right, um, when when he says, "I am the way and the truth and the life," all right, 
in Greek, when you have definite articles lined up like that, it is meant to be an absolute, a singular. So it's not, I am the way and some truth and some life. It is, I am the way, singular. I am the truth, singular. I am the life. These things, three things, I am these things, and I am the only one who is these things. Now, that's how that is phrased in John's gospel. And John is very careful. The Greek of, John, of John's gospel is a very careful Greek. He's intentionally saying this is an exclusive claim. And then he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. There are no options. There is no plan B. The gospel makes an exclusive claim. It makes an exclusive claim predicated upon who Jesus is. Uh, in John, again, the gospel, uh, gospel of John, verse t- chapter 20 and verse 30, Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in these book, this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is, and there we go again, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John, again, makes an exclusive claim to Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God. Now, those two are very important. I want to I just real quickly break those up and understand what you're talking. He's saying he is the, the Savior of the Jews. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And he is the Savior of the Gentiles, the Son of God. Because that's a title that the Roman emperor would take for himself to say that he was the Savior, the peacemaker. All right, uh, Julius Caesar or uh, Octavius Caesar was famous for walking around slaughtering people and then telling them they have received the peace of Rome. All right, um, and and as the Son of God, he was giving them peace. Well, John is saying that Jesus is the Messiah for the Jew and the Gentile, and he is making an exclusive claim. The Apostle Peter in the Book of Acts, chapter four and verse two. The Apostle Peter says this. Um, uh, I got the wrong thing. Not two. That's not it. Where is it? There it is, 12. I forgot a one. (laughs) All right. So, um, (coughs) excuse me. So all the way back to verse 10, this is the Apostle Peter saying, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. Peter has healed a lame man. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Watch. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not can be saved, might be saved, but must be saved. There's an exclusive claim to Jesus as the Savior of all men. The Apostle Paul in Romans in chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says this, 
Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets have witnessed to it. So he's saying this is beyond being Jewish. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation or a covering by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The gospel is an exclusive claim to truth. It is a claim to exclusive truth. So often we want to widen or broaden the idea of the gospel to include so many things. Uh, during the beginning, in the beginning of the 20th century, there was a movement within uh, most, most very theologically conservative denominations to expand the definition of the gospel beyond the ministry of Jesus Christ, beyond the person of Jesus Christ, to say that it also included good behavior, moral caregiving, charity. You know, the gospel could be building a school. Now, building a school could be an instrument by which we preach the gospel, but the gospel is not about building a school. It's about preaching Jesus. And, and you know, people look and they say, well, you know, the, the gospel, the gospel is all about loving people. Now, I would say for sure we are called as believers to love people, but we love people. The gospel is not loving people. The gospel is loving people enough to share Jesus. The gospel is a claim to exclusive truth. But second, the gospel is revealed to us. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul again says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, um, he says, when you read this, when you can perceive, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, the nations, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel is revealed to us. It doesn't just happen. Now, the, the Apostle Paul in Romans, he says in Romans chapter 1, he says, it is possible for people to understand certain things about God just from the world. I don't need to convince you. I don't think I need to convince anyone of the sinfulness of human beings. All we have to do is be human beings for a while. I, I mean, you look at the world, you look around the world and go, if you can look at the world and say there's no such thing as sin, there's something wrong with your looking at the world or because our world is full of sin, whether we're talking about massive sin like genocide or, or something like that going on uh, or, or, or small sin of people just being mean to each other. There's a reality that there's something broken in our world. We can see that. And we can see that if there is a God, he would be angry with the way that we are. We can see that. But the gospel, the message of Christ is revealed to us in the scriptures. The book of Hebrews chapter 1. And I don't nearly, I don't ever jump around this much. But I, I want to lay this down. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. 
Long ago, as many, time, as many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Jesus, or God, spoke uh, the scriptures. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, That description of Jesus revealed to us to be not just a man who taught a good moral message, not just even a a semi-quasi-divine Messiah figure like the, the emperor or whatever, but being God himself, the express image of God, the sustainer of universe. We would not know that without the scriptures. The gospel is, ex- is claims to exclusive truth, and the gospel is revealed to us as the truth. Now, here's the difficult thing of all of that. That means that in order to accept the gospel, we have to accept the authority of Scripture. And this is one of the reasons why um, the, the approach to sharing the gospel uh, to those that are, that are not followers of Christ sometimes falls flat on its face. Because when I was in college, I was taught that the way that you shared the gospel with somebody was, um, and and this is going to sound really weird, but uh, one of the things that they, especially those that know me, that know that how much I I am not a fan of touching, just in general. Um, But you were supposed to, you were supposed to walk up to somebody, you were supposed to have your Bible in your hand, you know, and your fingers stuck in the places that you were going to go. And you were going to say to them, and you were supposed to put your hand on their shoulder and say them, which I was very uncomfortable with. First of all, it's like this for me, for most people. Um, but um, but you're supposed to. It's like, can I share you from you from the share to you from the scriptures how you can know how you could be saved? Well, the problem with that today, back in the 1940s, back in the 1950s, somebody busted out a Bible and said, "I'm going to read the Bible." Everybody, went, oh, the Bible. I have I have a friend who asked me if Jonah was one of the twelve apostles. He was like, I don't see how the whale fits with the feeding of the 5,000. He was being dead serious. He had no idea. It, it came as a surprise to him when he opened the Bible and the beginning of the Bible started with the creation of the world. He had never read that. He had never seen it. And he's like, I'm going to read the Bible through. I'm going to start in Genesis. I'm going to read all the way to Revolution. And, and I... And I said to him, I said, that's not, the, you don't want to do that. You're going to get really bogged down. I said, why don't you take a minute? Why don't you read uh, one of these, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of these gospels that talks about Jesus. Let's start there. And then when you have questions about Jesus, then we can, we can spread out across the rest of it. But let's start right there. Let's start with Jesus. Because um, the problem with it is, is we have to get people to a place to understand the authority of the scriptures. That speak to the gospel. I share all the time that I'm an atheist who can't get past Jesus. I have no use for human religion. I have, I have no use for... I had somebody get on my case on social media about how I was supporting the American Christian... American church industry. I don't even know what that is. I pastor a little church in the middle of nowhere. Right? Um, I was like, I'm not supporting anybody. I had somebody else ask me uh, about, uh, um, they, they asked me about uh, my, favorite, my favorite author. It's like, and I'm like, I don't know. Paul? I, I really struggle with this whole idea. But, you know, we can't, 
we can't look at that and go, okay, so we're going to start with where we're going to start. Um, we're going to start with just telling people they have to accept scripture as authority. And we start with Jesus. And, and like I said, an atheist who can't get past Jesus, my thing that brought me back to my faith that I had as a little kid, my thing was when I read Jesus, if he was one one hundredth of the person he is in the Bible, then he was worth following. And the Holy Spirit worked in my heart and my soul and transformed my unbelief and my disbelief into a fervent belief and a submission to the authority of the scriptures. See, the gospel speaks through the scriptures. So we have to give people Jesus in the scriptures and believe that the Holy Spirit will work in their heart and their mind. You say, well, if I just love people enough, they will one day ask me about Jesus. No, they will not. They won't. It's just not going to happen. Um, it, it is like saying to somebody, well, if I, if I just keep telling you what a car is like, eventually you will want a car. All right? or, or if I keep telling you, um, if I keep telling you, keep telling a blind person how blue the sky is, eventually they will understand what blue is. It, we have to bring them to the truth. And the truth is Jesus. And it's Jesus in the scriptures. Uh, when I was young, I had a comic book. My dad was a hippie. Um, he's not anymore. Well, he doesn't look like one anymore. Um, but, uh, but my dad was a hippie and he had a lot of comic books. And one of the comic books he had was a comic book adaptation of, of the book, um, uh, what would Jesus do? All right. Uh, the book that that came out from in his steps. (coughs) And, uh, I just remember this, the comic book was awesome because (coughs) it was full of people from the sixties, which just was awesome, you know? So people in bell bottoms and psychedelic colors trying to follow Jesus. Um, and, and Jesus, you know, Jesus, when he appeared in the comic book, he appeared in his guise as a Swedish guy in a white bathrobe. And, and, um, and, and there was, you know, but I remember reading this comic book and my dad was a pastor. And, um, you know, a- after he was a hippie, I don't want to say he was a hippie pastor. That's not how it worked. Um, but he got saved and he had all these comic books. And I was reading this. I found this comic book in the midst of, you know, Iron Man and Detective Comics. And there was this weird um, Jesus book. Um, but as even as a kid, I took it and I gave it to my dad one time. I said, Dad, I said, I said this is really interesting. He said, yeah, this is this book, you know, back in the 60s. I said, but here's the problem. Uh, I was like, Jesus isn't saying anything. People are just going, well, you know, well, Jesus would love this person or Jesus would do this or Jesus would Jesus would would go into this. At, at one point in the book, this guy goes into a strip club because Jesus would have gone into a strip club um, to just care for people and, and try to get them off of drugs and, and a bunch of stuff. Jesus would have done that. And I'm not saying he wouldn't have, but that's not the gospel. The gospel isn't Jesus being one of the guys who's just more moral than us, better than us, you know more capable of loving and 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 the gospel isn't just saying what would jesus do in this situation because i gotta remember remember what jesus did in this situation was to die for the sins of the world not just heal people not just do things so uh, i want to just drop this big idea at the end here 
There is no gospel without the scriptures. There is no gospel without Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. And that that Jesus Christ that is revealed in the scriptures is not a model for moral life, but he is a, a, a figure that transcends understanding that requires depth of thought and conversation and doctrine and understanding. But lastly, there's no gospel without the scriptures. There's no gospel without Christ. But there's also no church without the gospel. Somewhere along the line in modern Christianity, we got this idea that the gospel was something that individual people shared with individual people. That it was, it was just kind of an intellectual conversation instead of a motivating, driving truth undergirding the church. Um, I am known for being uh, rather picky about a lot of stuff. And people are always asking me, why are you so um, picky about this or that? Uh, when it comes to the church, I am picky for one reason and one reason alone. Everything we do as a church should be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it isn't, it doesn't have to be a perfect reflection, but if it isn't a reflection of the gospel of Jesus, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? We could just go to the Rotary Club and hang out with people we like. Maybe. I don't know. I've never, I don't know. I've never been to a Rotary Club. But I, I know there's that uh, Catch Me If I Can where Christopher Walken tells a story about a mouse. And that's at the Rotary Club. So it must have been an amusing thing. Um, I mean, I could, get, I could get camaraderie by going to watch a football game. Which I was supposed to do last Sunday except I got sick. But the church is about the gospel. Not just about us celebrating it, but us sharing it. It's transforming who we are and what we do and we say as a body. And if, if we want to see the, the cause of Jesus Christ move forward, we begin with the truth, the word of the truth, the gospel, which, you, which has come to us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, in this new year, facing all the challenges that we're going to face, with 99.5% of our congregation watching online in the first time that I get back, Lord, pray, we pray that the gospel be manifest in us, that we proclaim the word of the truth, that we, we do not shy away from the nature of the revelation of Jesus Christ, May you be glorified and honored not just here on Sunday mornings, but in our lives as the church spread out and as the church gathered. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters.